Welcome to Living Water Radio. You've seen the homeless on the streets. Have you been conflicted over how to help? Maybe you've seen the signs that say, don't help the homeless, help the organizations that help the homeless, and wondered if you should just walk by. Today we're going to find out, and we're going to find out in the context of the meaning of life. My name is Pastor David Burkadall. My wife, Reverend Sally Welch, is co-producing this podcast. Sally is an ordained minister focusing on ecumenical and interfaith ministry. I served Lutheran Christian congregations in Compton, California, and in San Dimas, California, for over 40 years. Today, I'm serving part-time in Monterey Park, California, maintaining our yard as my gym, and I'm active as a volunteer in the leadership of the more than 100 Evangelical Lutheran Church in America congregations in our area. We are retired clergy and have over 80 years of ordained ministry experience between the two of us. Check out our first Living Water Radio podcast, number zero, Welcome and Introduction, for more information about us and this podcast. In Douglas Adams' future fiction book, A Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, he explains that the most useful object for people hitchhiking around outer space is a towel. Now you know. He also explains the meaning of life, the universe, and everything. A supercomputer is built to discover the meaning of life, the universe, and everything. It takes seven and a half million years and then reveals the answer to be 42. Unfortunately, by then, everyone has forgotten the question, so a super-duper computer made of organic parts is built to discover the ultimate question. The name of this super-duper computer is Earth. What is the meaning of life? Jesus answers it, and the answer was just as shocking to people in Jesus' physical time on Earth as it is now. The answer begins with Luke 16, verses 19 and 20. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen, and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. We see homeless people all over, and the numbers seem to be increasing. People running for office all have plans to end homelessness. We've passed propositions to increase our taxes to end homelessness. Funds have been set aside in city, state, and federal budgets. Nonprofits seek grants and create bureaucracies to deal with the problem. As the saying goes, there's a lot of money in poverty. Yet, homelessness persists. We are also concerned about the decline of the middle class and the growing gap between the rich and the poor. These things were even worse in Jesus' time on earth. Lazarus was homeless. The rich man in Jesus' parable was super rich and important. Purple cloth was very expensive, and only the aristocrats and well-connected in the Roman Empire were allowed to wear it. He feasted every day, not only at milestone events like the other 99.99%, if even then. His house had a gate, and the dogs at the gate were likely there for security. The poor, hungry, sick, and disabled homeless man at the rich man's gate, whose only medical attention seems to come from dogs, who is given the name Lazarus, the same name as Jesus' best friend, and which means God helps, is the only person who is named in any of Jesus' parables. The rich man is not. 
This is significant because we're going to see an example of a great reversal in this parable. The story continues with verse 22. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. Both men die, and we learn that the poor man is carried by angels to be with Abraham, the patriarch, whose faith was accounted to him as righteousness long before Moses received the Ten Commandments and the covenant based on the law with God. We also learn that the rich man gets a funeral, probably a nice one, but he goes to a bad place, and there is no mention of being carried anywhere by angels. Remember that this is a parable. It's not an allegory. It only has one meaning, and it's not about heaven and hell. The parable is one of a string of parables to which some Pharisees, who were lovers of money, were listening. They, along with many others in the crowd, would have believed that Lazarus' afflictions were justly deserved punishments for being a sinner, while the Pharisees were going to be rewarded with good things in this life because they had obeyed the letter of the religious law, if not its spirit. Jesus is saying in this parable that it doesn't work that way at all. He will soon demonstrate it on the cross. It's an example of this great reversal. The rich man is in Hades. He knows things are bad, but he doesn't seem to have figured out that he's no longer rich or well-connected or in charge, or that Lazarus isn't his gopher. We see it in verses 23 to 26. In Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner evil things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. Lazarus had longed for the scraps from the rich man's table. Now the rich man longs for a drop of cool water from Lazarus's finger. Time's up for the rich man. A great division has taken place, and he's receiving the consequences of his actions, while Lazarus is being compensated for the rich man's lack of actions. So, we seem to be getting a lot of information about something that looks like heaven and hell. If this parable isn't about them, what's it about? We get the answer in the remaining verses of this parable, Luke 16, verses 27 to 31. He said, Then, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them, so that they will not also come into this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. He said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. The reticular activating system occupies the space at the base of our brains and helps us focus. It is the means by which we filter out things that are not unusual or of immediate value or of concern to us from things that require our full attention. 
Beyond the fight-or-flight instinct, we train this filter based on what we value in the formation of our conscience or of our character. The rich man did allow Lazarus to sprawl near the gate where his guests arrived and left his gated home, but other than that, he had filtered out Lazarus from his normal consciousness. He did have some compassion for his brothers, though, who were apparently just as tuned out to the needs of those around him as he was. He asks to be raised from the dead to visit them with a warning. It worked in the book-slash-movie-slash-play A Christmas Carol, which I saw summarized in a three-panel cartoon once. One, Scrooge says, Christmas is humbug. Two, three ghosts say to him, you're humbug. Three, Scrooge says, yay, Christmas. Maybe he hoped for that, but that wasn't going to happen. It couldn't happen. No special favors for the rich man's brothers. Besides, says Abraham, they have what we would call the Bible. Nope, says the rich man, but if someone were to go to them from the dead, then they would repent. They would turn away from their selfish lives and turn toward doing God's will. Then comes the point of the parable. Abraham says, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Jesus raised another guy named Lazarus, his best friend from the dead, and you notice that believers didn't just come streaming in. Jesus had taken his life back again when he came back from the dead, and the church was under persecution by the time the Gospel of Luke was written. If someone can talk you into something, someone can come around the next day and talk you out of it. If you hear a claim that Jesus rose from the dead, you might search for naturalistic explanations to deny it. Tim Keller, the Christian author and pastor of a large Presbyterian church in Manhattan, once said, When people tell me that they were once believing Christians but now have rejected it all, I often ask them, after long close listening, why they originally believed Jesus rose from the dead and how they came to decide that he now didn't. They usually say it's a helpful question. Belief isn't the same as faith. Faith is a gift from God, and as a gift from God, nothing can take it away from us. It comes through encountering the presence of God revealed to us through the Bible. The authority of the Bible doesn't come from the words on its pages. It comes from the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit, the third person of the Holy Trinity, one God, that inspired the writers of the Bible to write it, also inspires us to understand it. We come to life, to faith, to relationship with the one true living God when we encounter God through the Bible. Prayer is the primary way we speak to God, and the Bible is the primary way that God speaks to us, as in prayer, through the transformational presence of God that makes of us a new creation, persons who are born again, the people of God. So, as in all relationships, we need to spend time with God regularly for that relationship to be healthy and grow, and for us to be transformed and renewed. Our conscience, our character, our sense of justice and social action all come from that relationship. We act in accord with who we are. Who we are comes from our acknowledgement of whose we are. There is only being in the Christian life, but it's that being that guides us into action. I heard a story many years ago about a man who died and went to heaven. 
Just before he entered the pearly gates, however, he turned to St. Peter and said, I'm really looking forward to what I know is on the other side of those gates, but I also know that once I get inside, I'll be changed. I don't know if it will happen, but I think that I might always wonder what life in the other place was like. So I'd like to ask if it would be possible to visit the other place just briefly to see for myself. Granted, said St. Peter, and the man found himself at the gates of hell. He walked through and was greeted by a horrible sight. Inside he saw rows and rows of tables stretching into eternity. Each table was piled high with delicious food and drink, but the people sitting at the tables were starving. The reason they were starving was three-foot-long forks and spoons were fixed to their arms, and while they could put food in the utensils, the ends were too long to reach their mouths, so they were starving. I've seen enough, he said, and he was transported back to the gates of heaven. When he walked through, though, he saw people sitting at the same kinds of tables, stretching to the horizon, piled high with the same food and drink, and the people also had three-foot-long forks and spoons fixed to their arms. But here people were laughing and healthy and singing praises to God. The difference was that here people were using their utensils to feed each other. That idea had never occurred to the people in hell, and that, in part, was why they were there. The meaning of life is not in what we keep, but in what we share, how we use what we have as a means for our ministry, our calling. Not all of us will give equal gifts, but we can all make equal sacrifices. All of us do what we do as an expression of who we are before God, repentant sinners, redeemed by a loving and gracious God on the cross, living out our daily vocation, our calling, using all that we have and all that we are as means for ministry to the glory of God. This is the world's hope, and the good news that we have to share is not support my church, serve on my committee, or maintain my traditions. The church belongs to God, and we have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Our good news is come and encounter Jesus and be saved. Eternity starts right now, and serve others as you have first been served by God. The Bible is the primary means by which God makes God's self known to us. It is fully sufficient to do that. Read it every day and open your heart to receive God's transformational presence through an encounter with the living God in it. Homelessness enters the world through human rebellion against God. How we help the homeless is a matter of what comes from our relationship with God, how it has transformed us, and what the Holy Spirit leads us to do. The meaning of life is to receive the gift of faith, the living relationship with the living God for which we were created from the beginning, and to live accordingly. Use everything you are called, equipped, and sent into the world to do to glorify God and to make it more like the world God intended it to be. Today, let's remember to pray the Lord's Prayer, the one that Jesus taught us. If you don't know what that is, contact us at therevsdavidandsally at gmail.com or send us a tweet to at David Burkadal and we'll send it to you. Send your prayer requests to either of the same addresses and we'll include them next time. Send your comments, questions, and concerns there as well and we'll respond to every one. 
As always, we encourage you to stay hydrated, to open your heart to receive the living water from the source, God's self, the living presence of the one true living God, the God who gave himself on the cross so that all who believe and are baptized might be restored to the living relationship with God for which we were created. Remember your church. Identify one if you don't already have one. Pray about it and ask the Holy Spirit to guide you. Ask a friend about it or a family member. Google it. Contact the pastor. When you have a church, go to or tune into the worship services they have available and support your church with your time, your treasure, and your talent. Pray for and support your pastor and church leaders as they seek to do God's will for your congregation. If you are having thoughts of suicide or are struggling with mental health issues, call somebody. Contact a friend or a relative. Google a local or national hotline. Reach out. There are people around you who will walk with you through this dark time into the light. You are not alone. Wear a mask when you're outside your home. Practice social distancing. Wash or sanitize your hands regularly. Avoid crowds if you can. And be outside if you have to be in a crowd. But most importantly, get your vaccines and boosters. It's the one thing you can do to literally save lives and get us back on track. Be kind to everyone you come into contact with. Everyone you meet today struggles in some way. Be a helper and encourager. Thank you for listening to Living Water Radio. We are here for Christians and for the people of the Los Angeles metropolitan area who are looking for a sense of Christian community, a source of hope, and a way to thrive together as we move into the new normal. We hope you'll tune in next time and invite your friends to do the same. Meanwhile, Sally and I encourage you to open your hearts to receive living water, the presence of the Holy Spirit, and stay hydrated. <laughs>